in the mainstream media, the negative news are always surfacing. And you go on Coindesk and you see nine out of 10 positive news, right? And then mainstream news every other week, you get, you know, a scam here and there. And that's just, it's just sad. And that happened 10 years ago, still is still happening. Good evening for me and good morning for my guest, actually. I'm your host, Charlie Shrem. You're listening to another epic episode of The Charlie Shrem Show, powered by Waxman. We're together for five years now. We've enjoyed spending time together, dissecting, storytelling, and understanding this, this wild world of, of Bitcoin and crypto. And today we have two awesome guests. We have Holger Arians and we have Jackson Zhang. Holger, you're the CEO of Banksa, super cool company based out of Australia. You guys provide all payments infrastructure for the whole crypto space, from companies like Binance to Edge to KuCoin. You offer the ability to do things like pay by Apple Pay, certain types of debit cards, bank transfers. You are like the de facto one of the largest now on and off ramps globally for people moving money in and out of the space. And Jackson, you guys offer a bespoke VIP experience. You guys are the world's premier cryptocurrency brokerage, Caleb and Brown. You were the, the first employee, actually, at Caleb and Brown. And you guys serve over 22,000 clients across more than 100 countries. It's super cool because what you guys do is actually how I first started trading, like doing OTC. It's like that chat experience, having like a broker that you can talk to and understand, especially sometimes when you're buying large blocks of, of certain crypto projects or whatever. You're also on the board of Blockchain Australia. How are you guys feeling today? How are you guys feeling about the, the global crypto you know, industry where we are right now, like exactly halfway into 2023? Go ahead. Look, I'm feeling good. Um, like you guys, I've been in this for almost 10 years now. You've been long in this even. It's never been that good. <laughs> and and I'm, very, I'm very optimistic here. Um, it's it's challenging and it's it, it changes every day. We just spoke about that. But overall, if you zoom out, it's great. And so many amazing opportunities, and um, we haven't even scratched the surface yet. It's it's a very challenging space in terms of regulation, obviously, and that is it's important. We we need more mainstream adoption. We need better user experience. We need more trust and all that. But look, overall, I'm I'm super excited um, and. We had much more challenging times in the past when crypto was more in a dark corner of the internet and there was no real use case for it other than maybe speculation. Today, we are much broader and um, you know, it's, it's exciting for me. That's, that's a very good point. You've been around since 2014. And Jackson, I want to hear how you're feeling too. You know, It was a lot harder back then. There were no real use cases for crypto back then. But, but Jackson, how are you feeling going into the halfway point of the year now? A little bit more into it. Yeah, um, I'm glad we went the optimistic route, Holger, because I like to be an optimist as well. And I agree. I think crypto has been—it's it, the best it's ever been. Right? Um, the you know when we first started in the space, we would spend probably the first eighty percent of the conversation just explaining what crypto is. Nobody does that anymore. We yeah. go straight into explaining what our businesses do, how we provide value for the industry, how we help our customers. So I'm feeling good about the space. I think definitely this year now, we have moved from like an, a reason to actually be negative, a reason to actually be concerned or panicking to now it's, it's, you know, maybe we're just slightly frustrated that progress is not happening as fast as it could be. But I think the direction is getting better, right? 
So I'm an optimist, and I think you know I think we're seeing a lot of good developments starting to take place um, as a result of the lessons we learned last year. Yeah, I mean, you're, there's a reason that you see BlackRock filing an ETF, and you know I keep the the exciting things to me are happening on like such a small level, but really these things are happening on a global level. I see my friends in Dubai and Australia traveling all over the world in these large groups. I was talking to someone and and he was like, do you know how many people around the world get paid in USDT now? It's like millions, millions of people around the world understand as USDT is like, like all of a sudden crypto has given them the ability to have stable income where before they'd have to make money in their like local currency that just, you know, it's not even about just like earning the money and put into your bank account and hoping it doesn't, it's like just knowing how much you're going to earn on a weekly basis. Uh, and you service a lot of those people. You guys both service a lot of those people. It's not just speculating. It's especially in, in Australia when you have a huge amount of remittance money coming in and out. I mean, it's it's definitely it's definitely really exciting. I, I, why has, I would love to hear both your answers, but why has crypto adoption leapfrogged so much in Australia versus like the US? Is it, does it come from like a, compl- like a regulatory or is it more of like a, an Australian attitude do you think there is? Jackson, what do you think? Um, yeah, go, go ahead. So um, this would this would be a this would be a cultural speculation. I love cultural um, speculation. Sure is what we do. It's like my this, other but, show, cultural speculation, but, Charlie Shrum. <laughs> it should be. No, I'm um, we have. So we we have in Australia a tendency to invest more in the property market, the real estate market, than the equities market. And when the Australians got access to a global crypto market, I think it was a lot more interesting to them because historically, the equities market in Australia tends to underperform the US. So interesting. So we mostly have people invest in real estate, right? And the Australian dream is described as owning your own home. We also have a lot of immigration in Australia. So I come from an immigrant family. I'm first generation Australian. So, you know, we have this joke, which is as, a, as an Australian, your Australian dream is to own your own home. Um, and as a Chinese person, the Chinese dream is to own your own home in Australia. So, Very so interesting. A, a focus, there's a heavy focus on wealth accumulation, but it's also about protecting your assets. And there is a recognition of diversification or, or being dislocated from any risks that may be associated to your government, right? So that, that's why Chinese immigrate overseas. That's why they go to the US, they go to Canada, they go to the UK, they go to Australia. It, they inherently understand this. It's part of the culture. And that's my speculation on, on why, why there's, there's excitement about um, crypto in Australia. Great answer, Jackson. Um, I- Look, my, my view um, on, on top of that, I think that that is very accurate, is whenever you travel, you find an Australian somewhere. The Australians are the explorers. They're trying new things. And you find many brands, international brands, trialing their products in Australia. Yeah, you do see that. I, I feel that Australians are just happy to, to try out new things. And um, crypto is one of these things because you know, it has this amazing appeal all these different use cases. And like Jackson said, uh, in Australia, the, the property industry is large, but also the financial services industry. So you have many people that are very savvy with, with their money. And crypto is just an alternative and, and people get it. And they're, um, Australians also like horse racing. So they're, they're doing stuff with their money. And that is certainly um, helping with adoption. How did you get involved in this space? You've been doing this since, uh, since 2014, so like almost 10 years now. 
Yeah, but my co-founder Dominic, he um, ordered some black boxes. He said they're Bitcoin miners. I mean, they were just black boxes. Ordered them to the office. And um, back then we were in a six-story building. We just had one floor. And we had this little room where we had these Bitcoin miners. They create a lot of heat. So we had this massive fan and it was summer and the air conditioning was going. And it was a, a wild time. And a few times a day, the whole building would basically have a power outage. So we're really yeah. learning by doing, obviously nobody knew why the power was out and why the electricity costs went up for this building, but it was learning by doing and, and we got into it and we're just super excited. So we had all these Bitcoins and eventually just sold them. We, we broke it down for Australians to get their hands on crypto. And that was you know, almost 10 years ago and it was very innovative. And um, But again, we were, were running in so many challenges and some of those challenges we're still running into today, which we'll probably touch on later. Were you mining? Were you mining Bitcoin? Yeah. Do you remember like the details? Like I remember I was mining on that that an ASIC there was the first ASIC I think, and it was uh it was like crazy amount of Bitcoin a day. I forgot it was like maybe fifteen or twenty Bitcoin a day, but Bitcoin was only worth a couple of hundred bucks. So that was a large, still a large amount of money. Like I was making like eight thousand dollars a day, which. No single miner makes that much money. Like you have to scale, you know, your mining. So we were running it for days and days and days. And I just don't remember. I guess when you're living history, you don't realize, you don't like say like, let me save these things. Like, let me save this piece of paper. Let me, you know, people like, well, Charlie, can I buy your old Bitcoin license plate? I was like, I never thought to save my license plate. You don't think to like do these things. So like that, definitely industry has is, is changed so much in 10 years. It's definitely matured so much. Yeah, absolutely. It's come a super long way. And with time, so many um, more people and bright minds entered the space. And, and we're really seeing these amazing use cases now coming out of that. And Bitcoin mining is still a thing. It's still amazing. Um, but compared to 10 years ago, it's just mind-blowing what is possible. And, and we're just starting again. So where does Banksys fit now? This back-end infrastructure? So exchanges and Bitcoin companies and crypto companies don't have to deal with like connecting with traditional people's bank accounts and payment systems. It's like kind of like the, the back end rails there. Yeah, that's right. So it's, it's basically B2B2C. So we're embedded in the big platforms, the Metamask, the Binances. So if you want to buy crypto wherever you are in the world through these platforms, you click on buy crypto and you have banks are there as an option. Um, you get Actually, redirected to us. Yeah, I used you the other day. I, I'm not even knowing that we were having a podcast, I promise. I was, oh, that's nice. I was buying some crypto <laughs> and you were the second option. The first option was one that I had already known and used, but that always leads me to a dead end because it's like a long process. But yours was like really quick. I would I'm love glad. I'm glad. if these apps told you when you could withdraw. Because sometimes people don't want to buy Bitcoin and leave it in that wallet. They want to use it for something. Like if I'm playing online poker, how do I get Bitcoin instantly? My company bit instant was the only way that I knew. Now you have to go to a Bitcoin ATM or a crypto ATM or, or use Jackson's company. You got to use text your broker and say, give me some, some Bitcoin right now, right? Yeah, with banks, we send it pretty much immediately. If, you're, if your KYC check goes through right away and all that sort of stuff, we do all the fraud checks. We're regulated. The service we're doing is regulated. And that's why we're doing it and not the exchanges necessarily at, at this point. And, and we're local, we have local payments. So if you're in the US, we obviously have Wire and ACH. In a country like the Netherlands, we have uh, Interact, which is a bank-to-bank transfer. And 90% yeah. um, of e-commerce happens through these bank-to-bank transfers. 
And the big advantage is the conversion rate of that payment is 100%. If you send something bank to bank, it always goes through. But with a credit card, it's like 20% conversion rate because it's a high-risk merchant category. And that's where it just bounces. And um, that's why we are mostly local. Um, if you are local, if you have a local bank um, transfer, you need to have a license or be regulated. So we're, we're doing that. And it's obviously the long road, but it's what um, eventually is um, valuable and, and, and mostly to the customer because they just want their crypto, like you said, and they want it now. It's exactly the truth. Jackson, tell me about Caleb and Brown and the story. You were the first employee and now running the shop. Yeah, so Caleb and Brown, put simply, is a crypto brokerage um, that assigns a relationship manager to every single customer, right? So every client, when you're engaging with the business, you're talking to the same person. We have a platform as well. So if you want to go the digital route, you can do that. But the crucial thing is that you have one person who looks after your account, looks after your portfolio, understands not just where your assets are, but also um, where your knowledge is at. So for newcomers in the space, there are about a million ways to make mistakes in crypto. And then for the experience, there's a lot of leverage you can get. And the good kind of leverage um, from speaking with peers dedicated to keeping up with recent developments. So, you know, there, there was a period of time when DeFi was a new term, right? So we we are the people who are explaining, hey, what's this up and coming sector within the industry? What do people want to learn now? Well, recently there was zero knowledge EVMs, right? So that just, you know, to the newcomer, that's just a bunch of letters. <laughs> ZK EVM, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> And, and before that, like there was, you know, what, what's we like layer one and layer two, that that's kind of like a maybe two year old term. ZKVM is, is it, it's like, it's actually a lot older, but in terms of the public knowing about it, it's, it's, you know, maybe only a few months, right? So we get to talk about the, the benefits. ZKVM is an, is, a, is an EVM chain that's, that's fully compatible with like a roll ups. Is that yes, the definition? So, so it's a, yeah. I passed the test. So Ethereum virtual machine is EVM, uh, basically. Well, that we know. Simply, the listeners know that. Oh, fantastic. Good, good, good. So it's it's useful because it's interoperable with the, the language that everyone speaks. And the ZK part is the zero knowledge part. So it's it's about a lot, about better composability. It's about better compression. It's basically the other route of rollups. You can have optimistic rollups and you can have zero knowledge rollups. So there are a lot of like new things, right? And our job is to understand the new things and then break it down for you um, and help you understand it. Why are Telegram bots blowing up then right now? It's crazy. Like Unibot. I, I'm not sure about it's this. It's like Telegram that. trading bots. They're like uh, decentralized. It's like imagine Uniswap, but in a Telegram bot that's open source that the token holder gets rewarded as like, I don't know, it's been like gets rewarded by like global transaction fees. So it's like, Instead of having to like, you know, when you hit MetaMask and you like hit get quote, you know, and you're getting a quote and it's pulling in from like all the different decentralized exchanges and aggregators and everything, the best quote or the best liquidity is the the bot just does it for you. Like you just say, hey, trade this for this and you keep your crypto in your own wallet. I don't know. I haven't tried or played with them, but the listeners are sending it in and and people are really interested and Unibot like went crazy in price. I'm still seeing a lot of... uh People wanting to understand rollups and and how they affect, and also we're seeing a lot of like Bitcoin sidechainy stuff that's really popular too. Yeah, that's right. The really exciting thing about rollups is that it gives crypto the opportunity to catch up to fintech in user experience. And the way I like to think about fintech is 
things are given a name mostly because it is opposite to the previous thing that you would expect it to be described by. So we think of banks, it's a business that gives us the the services around our finances. Now, you would normally expect that all the functions you associate with fintech to just be done by banks, but it doesn't get done by banks. So we have to invent a new terminology and say, this is fintech because they're better at technology than the banks are. So what ends up happening is the cumbersome nature of banks prevents them from innovating rapidly. So that kind of gets developed in the fintech world. And then, you know, if there's a successful one, maybe they get acquired in. In crypto, we have been built in natively in a manner that is the same as how fintech develops their technology, which is interoperable with everything. It's API-based. Well, fintech is API-based, but crypto is smart contract-based. It's interoperability-based. So the way you think about fintech being the application layer of banks, crypto has that whole built in in a single stack and dApps are the application layer of your private keys. So the the exciting thing about rollups is that we get to solve some of the scalability issues that have been preventing us from catching up to some of the user experience. I'm really excited that this podcast, The Charlie Shrem Show, is now powered by Waxman. I think I met the CEO, David Waxman, back in 2015 or something at an Ethereum meetup, and he told me that the future belongs to the fearless. And that is why they are producing the show right by my side. What an amazing team we have now. It's so amazing. You guys have been hearing some great updates and following along. If you don't know, Waxman is the leading global strategy and communications firm advising the next generation of companies in Web3, disruptive technology, Bitcoin, crypto, fintech, artificial intelligence, and venture capital. Waxman's clients are ambitious leaders and businesses that are on the frontier of this whole new economy because they really do believe that the future belongs to us and we're the ones building it. With services across everything from digital marketing, public relations, social media, investor relations, financial communications, recruiting, and public affairs, they're helping companies and individuals like myself seize the business opportunities that we deserve, overcome challenges that we all are gonna face and achieve sustained success. Head over to Waxman to learn more. You guys are going to love them. We have them in the show notes. Check it all out. It's W-A-C-H-S-M-A-N.com. That's W-A-C-H-S-M-A-N.com. It's true. Advantage. It's true because, you know, we're we're supposed to be able to do like instant transactions, instant data. And if we're, if we're relying on data to be kept on chain too, we need to be able to pull that data. And if things can't be instant, but what's cool about rollups is the way it kind of like breaks up when things are settled on the main, you know, on the main chain when it needs to be settled, you know, some things can be settled a lot faster and shorter and they have different situations. But it kind of like, it gave me like a, like a funny reminder that when I was running my company similar to, to, to yours, Holger, I was dealing with a lot of like fraud and, and stuff like that. How do you deal with that? Because once people are in crypto, then they're good. There's, you don't have to deal with, you know, the reversibility of that. But getting people into it, you're like on the front lines dealing with like the like the army. Yeah, absolutely. And and before I, I answer this directly, I think this is also blown out of proportion. This whole fraud piece um, and banks like to use that as a as an they excuse. They do. It's so that, stupid, right? And and it's you know just compare the the actual fraud, the actual money laundering, and and everything bad in crypto to what's happening in the in the real world. In the traditional world, oh my God, with organizations that are a thousand times bigger than ours, 
and that still failed to to um, you know comply and, and detect. So the way we're dealing with it, Charlie, it's, it's experienced um, ten years in this space. We've we've seen a lot. Like back in 2015, we've seen entire Expedia.com websites rebuilt because Expedia announced that they're now accepting Bitcoin for flights. Don't oh, remember yeah. if they, they were one it. of the first. I missed that. Yeah, the scammers would just copy that website, and people were buying flights to from Australia to New York for two hundred dollars, and obviously that doesn't. Oh, so that's what was happening. That's why they they got rid of it because it was like people are creating fraud and stuff like that around it. That's crazy. Yeah, and 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 the scammers are always a step ahead, and and there are so many opportunities, right? But experience just helps um, with this whole piece. And and over the last ten years, we've really developed software on it, so on technology, but then we're just using the best of the market as well that um, many crypto companies are using. And there's so much shared intelligence that we are now using, and we are working very closely with law enforcement as well. So overall, we have a really good grip on it. I think there are great tools like Chainalysis and all that sort of stuff that really helps. You probably have created some like internal immediate scoring mechanism for knowing if someone's like low, medium or high at risk. I wonder if you could like somehow open source that too. I don't know. I'm always thinking how companies can can share data down the road. Like the propri- it's, it's the yeah. proprietary data that you create that you want to hold it for yourself, but let other people have access to it in charge get charged. Yeah. I think that's the future of data and crypto. I don't know. That's that's cool. My friend has a similar like type of data. They run like a Bitcoin ATM company. So they have like real time data of like people buying crypto. I'm like, you should open somehow open that data. Let people pay for it. I don't I don't know. It doesn't matter. But that's really interesting. Like you have to get to develop that. And I didn't know you you shared some new information. I always wondered why Expedia, but I realized that now because I actually bought a flight paid in Bitcoin from a site that was ended up being a scam site. It was like a little too good to be true, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, and you're, you know, you're experienced and and conscious of the space and everything. Just think about, you know, my mom when she buys something on Amazon, cross fingers that it's Amazon on the other side. And it's just scammers are getting very sophisticated even in the real world. And but but again, the extent of that part of the space is absolutely tiny compared to what's happening outside of this in the traditional Yeah, industry. that's just nothing. I just think the media attention around it. In the mainstream media, the negative news are always surfacing. And you go on Coindesk and you see 9 out of 10 positive news, right? And then mainstream news every other week, you get you know a scam here and there. And that's just, it's just sad. And that happened 10 years ago, still, still happening. It's not just us, the readers. It's the journalists too. My friend was a journalist at one of these major papers and she like literally walked off as an anchor one day and she's like, I can't talk about depressing news anymore. And she started this like nonprofit news company called No Blues News because it's supposed to be news. That's, that's no blues. I mean, it's a great yeah. idea because I'm like, it's, it's, so the mainstream media, they have nothing else to write about. It's all negative all the time. But do you guys go to like meetups a lot together and stuff like that? Do you, do you see, like what's the, the, the they opened up a, Bit, a, a Bitcoin club here in my town in Sarasota, Florida. It's Bitcoin Ben's Crypto Club. It's crazy with 10 years, it's industry is insane. Yeah, absolutely. We do. Um, you know, th- this, is a, this is a funny story actually. So Melbourne's a really small place. Um, so Holger and I, we, we work in the same building now, but even before that, I think like maybe seven years before that was the first time I met Holger. Um, uh, the, the first time I was looking for a job in the crypto industry and there were like 
basically two companies <laughs> hiring at the time, and, and one of them was in the building that this company was in. But but no, we've been in the space for a long time, and we go to the meetups together. And then eventually last year, you know, we said, look, there's there's a whole bunch of crypto founders and crypto entrepreneurs that have gathered up a lot of experience in the industry. We've figured out how to get around the challenges. Why don't we start a oh, incubator cool. um, and a Web3 fund together? Um, and we built something called Upside yeah. DAO. It's a play on Upside Down. I love um, that. Being in Australia. So in our building on another floor, there's now a community hub where startups can join and be a part of and be able to access crypto founders and CEOs and consultants in the space that can really help them get their uh, project built out. Tell me more about the Upside DAO. I'm on your website and this is awesome. This is so cool. Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, Holger, do you want to share a bit about it? I'm like browsing the website as you're talking. I mean, you know, you know how crypto is all about community, right? And and that's what I love. And and like Jackson said, Melbourne is is a small place, and everyone knows each other, especially in crypto. And we're sharing the same war stories, and we've all been debanked over time and lost bank accounts. And yeah, all that sort of <laughs> oh, stuff. You can say that again. So we came together and said, "Hey, we, we sort of need to formally support each other." And I love Australia seems punching way above its weight. You have synthetics, you have Illuvium, you have Immutable X, you have. Caleb and Brown and Banks are coming out of Australia and many other great companies. And the sort of first generation crypto founders, they've just come together and said, hey, let's, we all get sort of deals that we could invest in. And let's just put some money together. So we raised some money. Um, but also, because it's all about community, let's have um, a, a floor in our building. Um, it's 700 square meters where, like Jackson said, like, I think there are now 40 different wow. people working on their projects. We have the crypto lawyers, the accountants. So it's a real um, little ecosystem, a hub for anyone who wants to do something in crypto, even if government eventually wants to you know, know something or the banks want to dabble a little bit, they could come there and learn. It's really important because if you have any real business in any industry, at some point, your bank or who you're raising money from, your investors, your insurance company are going to want to come to your office and see what you have going on. And if they can come to a place like this, if I had a place like this, it would have been a lot easier in the early days if we had all come together. So that's really cool. I'm excited to see, I'm excited to see what it looks like next time I visit. I got to visit Australia now and come to the Upside Dow. Yeah, absolutely. You're very welcome, Charlie. That would be awesome. Tell, tell me, what else did I, can we talk about right now? Like, what else is really exciting? Because, like, the upside down got me really excited. Well, we could talk about regulation. It's totally not exciting, but it's something that is just a hot topic these I days talk about in Australia. <laughs> That's all we talk Australia's, about all the time. I know, I know. But no, Australia, it's, why it's, is Australia, like, so positive about regulation? Like, why is it easier? Can we copy the same laws here in the U.S. that you have in Australia? It's an attitude thing, I would say, and, and uh, Jackson can talk much much better to this. But but I think Australia has just allowed a very open space to develop, and and Australia was quite early in April 2018 with some sort of regulation, and that was when the the Transaction Monitoring Authority (AUSTRAC) was regulating the service, um, the, the the digital currency exchanges. So every crypto company just registered as a cryptocurrency exchange and they have to report transactions. It's a very light touch, hmm. and it's been very collaborative. And right now, there, is, there are a lot of discussions going on. There are consultation um, papers going around with the government, token mapping exercises by the government. So it's a very collaborative approach. 
and crypto companies were just able to thrive. But Jackson, you're you're much closer to it with your um, Blockchain Australia. Um, I think you're on the board of Blockchain Australia or Industry Association as well. Yeah, thanks. I'm happy to share a bit of color here. So the you know I, I would absolutely um, credit the, the the progress and the success um, in Australia to the attitude that our regulators have or, or that government has, and that can vary depending on the agency. But the most successful example is, as Holger described, our AML regulator in Australia called Austrac. As a federal regulator, so we don't have um, separation by that states. That makes it a lot easier, too. The process they went about regulating, yeah, absolutely. Dealing with one is a lot better than dealing with 50. The process was, um, let's find a industry association, which at the time, Blockchain Australia, non-for-profit industry association. The only focus is yep. advocacy for blockchain, crypto, Bitcoin, anything in, in that space. And they would run consultation sessions with associations who then bring industry members in. And by industry members, I mean companies. So there would be exchanges, there'd be crypto projects. These days, there are some NFT projects. But everyone is basically given access to the table where we get to have a conversation with the regulator. The regulator comes in and says, look, we think this space should be regulated. Here are some potential rules that we, we think we should be introducing. What do you guys think about it? How would you actually implement these rules if we impose them upon you? That is a very crucial question. And, and they were willing to ask that question, right? So Blockchain Australia was able to support and get the feedback from all the members like, okay, if we had to comply with these rules, if we had to sure. um, do KYC on our customers, if we had transaction monitoring, what are the systems in place that we need? Do we need to be able to speak to each other? Yes or no? Are there readily available industry solutions or like software that we can license to, to do these things? Um, all these questions gets asked in a room where all the stakeholders are able to contribute their voice. So that was successful in 2018. We hope that on the financial services side, we get the same thing. But th th there's progress there. We're looking at custody and exchange licensing in the next 12 months or so. Um, but I would absolutely attribute the success to the willingness to um, have a dialogue the with the industry. Yeah. Oh, and, so, and after that as well, even after Oztrack, I have to give credit to the regulators because everyone just like rags on them all the time. Even after implementing the new rules, every single year, Oztrack would invite the associations back in and have um, a roundtable and say, hey, how is everyone going? Here are the trends we're seeing. We're seeing maybe this, this type of fraud come up. How are we going to stamp it down together? Um, so it's, it's an ongoing dialogue and it's very collaborative. So I have to give credit to that. And, and hopefully we, we get to see more of that around the world. It's almost like because the regulators don't have to worry about infighting with each other, that they can actually have time to regulate and provide guidance. Yeah, that's a good point. Shocker. Yes. Makes me want to move to Australia. <laughs> oh, it's a nice place. <laughs> <laughs> nice place. <laughs> Well, thanks, guys. Thanks for taking the time and coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. It's It's been enlightening. It's been fun talking to you guys here in the Upside Down. Awesome. Thank you, Charlie. Okay, Charlie. I'll see you all later. Bye.